Good morning, church. <laughs> Thank you for letting me be here again and share God's word with you. I'm really excited to open up his word and share what he's laid on my heart over the past week or two of preparing for this. If you want to open your Bibles to John chapter 8, that would be great. That's where we're going to be this morning. It's the story of Jesus and the woman caught in adultery. As you turn there, I want to remind us of where we've been lately. Marshall's been preaching through how people have met Jesus and how they've responded to him in worship. In this passage, we're going to see a few lives that have been transformed and turned around because of their interaction with Jesus. It's a popular passage to preach from. I personally believe it's that way uh, because it, it encompasses so much of what we love about Jesus and his character, right? His wisdom in dealing with the Pharisees, his love for us as image bearers of him, the way he challenges us to go further than just meeting the basic requirements of the Mosaic law. And it's a message that we can all relate to. It's one that resonates with us. We love to associate ourselves with the woman caught in adultery uh, in that we know how much Jesus has forgiven of us. We love to read this story and we're reminded about our freedom in Christ. And maybe some of us have even been challenged by the actions of the religious leaders who they themselves were challenged by Jesus to drop the rocks that were in their hands that were meant to stone that woman. Maybe some of us have been challenged to drop our own rocks against others, remembering how Jesus took the punishment that we deserve. So I want to look at both aspects of these part of the story today. I really want to leave having focused on the grace of Jesus Christ, though. Is that okay? I'd rather focus on that, as important as the other parts of it. The grace that he extends to people everywhere, all of us. The grace that allows anyone to turn from a life of self-centeredness and idolatry, of pain and suffering and unfulfillment and loneliness, to turn to a life of loving and being loved deeper than you could ever know, that you ever thought was possible. To a life where forgiveness is common to a life where our heart desires align with those of the creator of the universe. And that's where I want us to be this morning. So before we begin, uh, we're going to read the passage. So turn to John chapter 8. Free yard sale. Go to the yard sale. It's going to be great. Let's read through this passage, maybe as though it's the first time we've ever read through it. And if it is your first time hearing this passage, I'd like to encourage you to come and see a beautiful picture of the grace found in our Lord Jesus. John chapter 8, verses 1 to 11. Let's read it. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught 
in adultery. And placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. As they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at him. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away, one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? No one condemns you. She said, no. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that hearts would be aligned to your will this morning. That our minds would not focus on things outside of this room right now, but they would be attuned to your spirit, be focused on your word, and Jesus, that you would convict and you would draw to you those whom you have called. That we would look more like you as a result of allowing this passage to soak in our lives. Thank you, Jesus, for the grace that you bestow upon us to know you and be known by you. We pray that you would get the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Right, so, for some context. This passage takes place as an account right in the middle of another really important moment in Jesus' ministry. It's called the Feast of Tabernacles, or the Feast of Booths. We're going to call it the Feast of Tabernacles. In John chapter 7, Jesus is fulfilling the law. He's literally fulfilling the law by attending and participating in the Feast of Tabernacles. It was a celebration of the time that God brought the people of Israel out of Egypt and led them through the wilderness. The feast is, it's filled with symbolism uh, about the, their ancestors' journey from slavery in Egypt to freedom in the promised land. It also happens that a lot of the Feast of the Tabernacles actually points to the Messiah, Jesus. The religious leaders won't see that. The Pharisees won't see that but there is a huge connection between the celebration of the Feast of Tabernacles and who Jesus is in his character. So on the last day of the feast, Jesus declares himself to actually be the source of living water. Uh, in John chapter 7, 37 to 38, he's, on the last day of the feast is what he says, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Jesus here is pointing to a moment in the feast that was meant to symbolize water coming from the temple that would come and give life to everyone all around. Water that would flow down from the temple. It is a beautiful picture of the amazing, gracious action of Jesus, our Savior on the cross. As his life-giving blood flowed from his body, giving life to everyone who would put their faith in his word. And on the other side of our passage today in John chapter 8, immediately after the account of the adulterous woman, 
in verse 12, Jesus is still celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles. And it's here that he makes another amazing declaration. 8 verse 12, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Israelites would light lamps at the feast to symbolize how God led them as a pillar of fire by night in the wilderness. The lamp lighting also looked forward to a time when God would illuminate the world through the Messiah. But here's the thing. This account of Jesus and the adulterous woman and his response to the religious leaders and the Pharisees is nestled within these two declarations, being the living waters and the, the light of the world. And I, I really don't think that's on accident. I'm pretty sure that's on purpose. The placement of this account in between Jesus' declaration, his claims to be both these things, both living water and the light of the world, it just enhances his character. And it brings light to what we are reading today. So if you are a point taker, here's point number one. Letting go of the need to take justice. Point number one. Letting go of the need to take justice. It's important to know what is going on here. We have a group of religious leaders who have come to Jesus. They brought a woman that they've caught in the middle of adultery. Now, if you know anything about the interactions with Jesus and the Pharisees, you know that this scenario is actually less about enacting justice upon this woman, and it's a little bit more about catching something that Jesus says improperly, something contrary to Scripture. They wanted to catch Jesus in the act of saying something outright heretical. And so they present to him this seemingly impossible task of deciding what to do with an adulterous woman. And regardless of all that, Regardless of that, they were in the right. They did, in fact, catch this woman in the act of committing a sin. They had two or more witnesses, and their demands to follow the law of Moses, to stone this woman, were justified. They were perfectly allowed within their right to follow the law. And likely with rocks in hand, they were ready to stone her in front of everyone. Preaching from this passage holds a little bit more weight than actually holding a rock. So Jesus, in an act that likely surprised them, encouraged them to throw stones. Of course, not before he uttered this famous line that you've probably heard in John 8, verse 7. Let him who is without sin among you, be the first to throw a stone at her. Jesus allows room for the law to be fulfilled, okay? While at the same time reminding the religious leaders of the importance of extending grace. Jesus' entire ministry on earth was about fulfilling the law, while at the same time doing it through a profoundly deep posture of grace. The one who wrote the law, was being asked in this moment to carry out the law against this woman. And instead, Jesus shows them a better way. He shows one of the reasons for the law, to reveal our deep need for grace. He does this by reminding the religious leaders about their own sin. 
the fact that they themselves are also guilty before God and deserving death. It's so easy to become focused on the sin of others around us. And that is a dangerous mindset to try and take refuge in. Focusing on the faults of others around us, no matter who they are or what they've done, it causes us to see them as less than us. When we choose to make sins of others bigger than, than a big, sorry, when we choose to make the sins of others a bigger deal than our own, it devalues them. It minimizes their worth in our lives, and it's contrary to the gospel. Paul reminds us in Philippians 2, verse 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. You see, the grace that's found in the gospel, it's the only way we can do this. Our entire world right now encourages devaluing other people in order to increase one's own value. Let's name a few things. Victim mentality critical race theory, intersectionality. Victim mentality says, I've experienced more oppression than you. Therefore, your opinion is worth less than mine. Critical race theory says, you are worth less because of the color of your skin. Intersectionality says, I am more unique than you, so you're worth less than me. This is the philosophy of the world. This is what people are striving after, what they're giving their worth to, their whole lives to. All of this is absurd. It's ridiculous. But it shows how the world operates. Our worth doesn't come from comparing ourselves to others. It comes from God. We bring nothing to the table of salvation except our broken and sinful lives. And Jesus comes with his perfect, sinless life. And he takes our place on the cross. And with his actions, he declares us to have worth. We don't bring anything. It's all Jesus. He declares us to have worth, not because of what we've done or what we could offer, but because of what Jesus did. And so, we, receive, we see the response of the religious leaders in this moment in John 8, verse 9. When they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Just picture that. What a beautiful, beautiful scene that is. The words of Jesus, so much conviction and so much love, all at the same time. Justice and grace, fulfilling the law and freedom from the law, all together at the same time. The religious leaders, reflecting now on their own sinful lives, they back down from their mission, they drop their rocks, and they leave. They realize that to truly follow through with their original intent, that they themselves would have to be willing to be subject to the strictness of the law's requirements. Unwilling to do so, they leave. So my challenge to you, my encouragement to you, is to take your sin against God more seriously than the sins of others. 
See, I constantly have to check myself under Pastor Kai's teaching not to think that the message he speaks for applies to person X, Y, Z, and Z. It's very easy to do that. Rather, I try to ask myself, what is God showing me, teaching me, drawing me to in this message? And I'm sure you can think of someone in your life who needs to hear a message like this, but this message isn't for them. It's for you. This message isn't for someone in my life. It's for me. And besides, if we're going to be imitators of Christ, what's a better version of Jesus? What looks more like him? This or this? Point number two. Letting go of the sin you've committed. Letting go of the sin you've committed. I'm sorry, that's a pretty clickbaity kind of title. There, that's not my intention. I couldn't figure out a better way to represent what's going on here, which is repentance. What we see here is a true and vivid picture of repentance. The thing that, as Jesus followers, we are all called to do. We don't just want to stop at looking at our own relationship with Jesus. We want to go deeper with that relationship. And that involves repentance, turning from one way of life to another way that looks at Jesus. Let's look at verse 10 and 11 of John chapter 8. Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go and from now on, sin no more. You see, Jesus didn't just come to save us from our sins, from a life of living for ourselves. He came to save us to a life, living in him, for him, with him. He came and fulfilled the law so that we could live freely in his work. Amen. So often I have limited myself for the work of the kingdom because I have chosen to focus on the evil that I've done, on the sins that I've committed. I know, I know God could use me. He is God. He can do whatever he wants. I know that. And of course I believe that. But here's the thing that I struggle with. Why? Why would God want to use me, a sinner, a wretch? Why would he choose to use me for anything? There are a lot more people who are, at least visibly on the outside, more qualified to do that. And so I would think to myself, There is no way I could be qualified to serve Jesus because of what I've done. There is no way God would want to use me for his glory. And in reality, that is exactly why Jesus came. (laughs) Praise God, that is exactly why he came. He came to save so that he could get more glory by working through me, a sinner, and transforming me into his image. That is the gospel. I know you hear it every week, but we need to be reminded of that. You have a purpose here in this life, and it involves glorifying Jesus and being used by him. He came to heal your brokenness and to transform you from death to life. Right? Romans 8, 1 to 4. There is therefore now no condemnation 
for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. What we see here with Jesus and this woman is a crystal clear opportunity for repentance. An opportunity to put away her past self and to move forward in the light of Jesus. To drink from the living waters of grace. To be set free from the constraints of the law and to live a life that follows the law in the power of Christ. And we talked about this the other night at Club 456 with our grades 4, 5, and 6. We talked about what it means to have works in Christ, our good works. Good works don't make you right with God. God's righteousness makes us do good works. Good works don't make you right with God. God's righteousness makes us do good works. And if I can instill that into as young of an age as possible, we're going to create a generation of young people who understand their place in the world, who understand what it means to live for Jesus and to not be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine that the world is trying to throw at us. Here's our third and final point, and it's mostly application. For the worship team, you guys can come up. Today is Communion Sunday. So as we consider that the grace of Jesus has been shown to us, I want us to consider all of this stuff in light of Communion. You see, this Jesus who's asking us to go and sin no more is the same Jesus who can relate with us, who cares deeply about us, and who wants the absolute best for us. He knows our struggles. He knows our pain. He knows our thoughts. And he wants the best for us. He wants the best for you and for me. He is our great high priest who can relate with us. That's what Hebrews 4, 14 and 16 says. Since we, then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. So here's some application. You are a follower of Christ. And you're holding a rock against someone right now. Drop it. If you are more focused on someone else's sin than your own, you need to drop that rock and let God take care of it. 
Even he who didn't sin didn't cast a stone, but instead took the punishment for us. Jesus alone had the authority to cast stones not only at the woman, but also at the religious leaders, at you and at me. And instead, he chose to die for us. If you are a follower of Christ, don't let your past self and your past sins tell you that you can't serve Jesus. Don't let your past sins hold you down from a life that glorifies God. Study the scriptures. Pray to God. Meditate on his word. Serve him. Make him a priority in your home. Give your time to him. I believe that your time is one of the most precious things, commodities that you have in your life. We talk about tithing a lot, right? Giving back to the Lord. That is where you need to be tithing more, your time. Where you need to offer your time to the Lord. Whatever that looks like in your home, in your work life, in your church life, give him your time. If you're a follower of Christ and you're living in persistent sin right now, stop it. In the name of Jesus, and in the power of Jesus, and for the glory of Jesus, repent. Turn from your old way and turn to Jesus. It's not too late. You can still do it. And I know you're probably thinking, I need something more than just stop it. In my early 20s, I was living a life that was claiming to be a follower of Christ and living in persistent sin. Someone came up to me, someone I love dearly, and said, you need to stop what you're doing. You need to start following Jesus. For me, that's what I needed. I needed someone just to tell me to stop. Someone who also loved Jesus, but was in a different and better place in their life. At that time, I was so grateful for that. Bring that thing that you're doing that you know is contrary to God and his best for you, and just give it up. He's already forgiven you for it. He already died for it. Go and sin no more. Before you take communion today, take a moment and repent to God. And if you're listening to this and you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, I hope you have heard this today. It's not complicated. It is not a hard thing to give your life to him. You can come to him today, right now you can change from going to death to life in Jesus. You can ask him to forgive you of your sins, to repent of your life and to follow him. The punishment that he took on the cross, the death that he died in our place can apply to you today right now. And then a new life starts for you in the power and in the grace of, and the love of Jesus. You get to live a repentant life you get an opportunity to go on and sin no more. For all of us, no matter where we are, Jesus is calling us to let go of the sins in our life that we're clinging to and instead hold tight to him. To drink from the living waters and to walk in the light of Christ. Amen? We're going to respond in worship as the ushers hand out the elements for communion. If you are a believer in Christ, Take time to take those elements and connect with God, especially through this worship song. If you are not a believer in Christ, 
my encouragement to you would be to let the elements pass by. They are not for you. They are for believers in Jesus. Reflect on where you're at with your walk with Christ. And allow that to soak in as we sing in response to worship.